Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome to a new episode of the Atlantic Division Mixtape, volume number four. I'm Jazz Kang, joined as always every week by Chris Milholland, writes for SB Nation sister site. Uh, Nets Bailey also works for Sports Illustrated. Joining us today, a couple of guys who cover the Nets as well. Matt Brooks also writes for Nets Daily. Matt, what's going on for you over there on the East Coast? Uh, nothing. Honestly, not a damn thing, but uh, excited to be here, talk some Nets, everything Atlantic, um, and thanks for having me. And we got Christian Winfield, who looks like he had, I don't know, what, what's, your, what's your drink of choice there? Is it whiskey, beer? What would you have last night? <laughs> My drink of choice is normally a gin and tonic. Gin and tonic. Only using Hendrix oh, gin. However, that was not an option last night, so I was forced to drink Duce and Henny all night, which is why I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. Well, That's a dangerous combination. <laughs> yeah. It's bad, Christian. man. We, so we, may as well put you, we may as well put you on the spot from, uh, from uh, last night as well. Kyrie Irving, three-pointer at the buzzer, gives the Nets a 119-116 win. Uh, Kyrie was fantastic in the fourth yeah. quarter, scored 15 of his 32. From what you remember from that game, Christian, how, how was it? And, and you look at the Nets now, they've won nine of their last ten. Why have they been able to turn things around so easily? Uh, I mean, first and foremost about that play, I mean, the way he shook Van Vliet, just to create the separation, set his legs under him. I mean, that's one of those shots, and this is the first line of my story. It's just like the shot looked good as soon as it left his hands, right? Like I think everybody, Raptors fans in the arena had their hands above their head like, no, is this going to happen? Yes, it's going to happen. That's how they lost. Um, but more importantly, you know, my bigger takeaway was that this is the first time this team has been able to sweep Toronto since, what, 2002, 2003 season. And that's tough because Toronto is one of those teams where, like, they can beat really good teams, and then those the Toronto Raptors are also a team that you know are going to go out there and compete against lesser teams, right? That's I called them like your perennial, your proverbial measuring stick team. And playing the Raptors is a good challenge to figure out where exactly you are as a team. And, and for the Nets to have beat them four games straight this season, regardless of who's available, I just think that's a testament to where they've come because last season the Raptors are teams that they were losing games to, right? These, these guys were losing games to these teams that they shouldn't have been. Um, so just when you ask what's been going well for them, number one, obviously coaching, the coaching change has been obviously a revelation, but I think all that is kind of tied together as well, because you have this coaching change. Now you have a team that's saying all the players, they're saying they trust each other. You have a team that's, that's moving the ball, that's playing on the defensive end very, very hard, right? That's something that we haven't seen them do. Um, this is great. This is what fans wanted to see when you say Nets basketball. This is what makes the fan base proud. So um, that's a great win, and uh, they're probably going to get another one in Detroit. Yeah. Matt, what about you? What did you think of the Toronto game? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, you look at that they're down in the first half, and that's just, like, not 
I don't know. I don't. I think that that's the difference between this year's team is like they just have different ways of winning games. That isn't just like we're gonna get hot from three or we're gonna ride off. You know, whatever. One of our stars getting hot. Like they, they're able to put an imprint on the game defensively. And I wrote before the season like, if this team can be top ten offensively, defensively, which some people thought was very optimistic. Uh, I, I felt like there was enough of a bedrock in terms of like front court defense with Simmons, Durant. Uh, Claxton, I, I expected to take a bit of a leap, maybe not to this degree, but certainly a leap. Um, you know, I was like, look, if, if they can get there, like this team is knocking on the door. And I, and I've, you know, regardless of what happened over the summer and the drama that's happened with this team, uh, there's a way, there's a pathway to them getting there. I didn't think they'd get there in 30 games. I didn't think they'd be top six and top eight or whatever they're at right now. Um, you know, kind of knocking on the door and improving every single game. I mean, this is like this team legitimately looks like it's one of the favorites to win the title right now. Um, you know, Milwaukee will be a big test, but we're at that point now where last week I was saying Milwaukee is going to be a big measuring stick game of like, be like, all right, this team, I think this team can win a title. We're already creeping there even before that game happens, which is wild. It's just kind of a testament to like, this is a, this is a team that takes care of business against bad teams. Um, and then when they're down, they have, the uh, confidence in themselves to come back. And that's what we saw yesterday. I don't want to jump yeah. the gun real quick. I don't want to jump the gun on saying this is a team that can compete for a championship just yet. You know, Kevin pointed it out. And I think we'd be remiss not to point out the schedule has just been really, really light the last couple of weeks. I mean, we've got wins against teams that we're not even expecting to be in the second round of the playoffs. Right. So before we go in and crown them 2023 NBA champions, <laughs> bucks. Let's watch them beat the, the Golden State Warriors without Stephen Curry first, right? Like, let's let's see them do that. For yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I was gonna follow up there. I was gonna say, okay, number one for both of you guys, do you think that this roster is currently constructed is enough to win a championship? And if not, what what holes do this team need to fill? Whether that's in the trade deadline or in each part of the trade, or is it the buyouts? Well, I deadline? think so. I, I think you know we we live in a in a in a trade machine society right now right so everyone wants to know okay who, God, can, who can you trade to get this guy when in reality every trade is going to bring in someone that now has to that now has a learning curve of how to play with certain guys so i, I think maybe you can improve around the margin sure if you want to go get a big man that can try to be go toe to toe with joel and beat then sure but what what i'm learning from this group what i'm learning from watching from them is like they're going to figure out what style of basketball fits them best and they're going to make the opponent adjust to the way that they play basketball right and, and i enjoy watching that so can they win a championship is currently constructed yes but i also want to see how this team fully healthy plays against the celtics plays against the bucks before i make that judgment call um i got to see if ben simmons can guard Giannis. i got to see if nick classic can guard joel and b there's a lot of different mini matchups we got to see um but from the nets from the way they're playing and from just how they're going out there and execute on both ends of the floor I think there's no doubt we're going to see them go into a deep playoff run. I just think in the East it's going to come down to the three teams, right? Milwaukee, Boston, and Cleveland's in that conversation now. Are the Nets good mm -hmm. enough to beat any of those three teams in a seven-game series with this roster that's currently constructed? That I'm not sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you something too, Matt. Sorry to cut you off there. You guys mentioned obviously Jacques Vaughn. It's been since November 1st, so it, you know it's been about six weeks now that that he took over for Steve Nash. Um, and you wrote about this yesterday, the little intricacies like um, the shoot-arounds being different. And, and schematically, what, what are the Nets doing differently under Jacques Vaughn uh, compared to Steve Nash, where it was basically like a, a circus around that team uh, since that Game 7 loss a couple of years ago? Giving a damn. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he keep, he he loves the word simplification. Like that's what he he's very into. Like the idea of that he's simplified things, and I like I agree in large part. Um, they're a really interesting team. Like defensively, they're built around rim protection. So they have two guys that are ranking within the top seven in blocks, and a lot of their defense is about just like funneling opponents sometimes towards those two guys. Um, and they're they're actually kind of getting away with not having a great perimeter defense right now because they have such a dominant interior force with Claxton and, and Durant and Simmons on certain plays. They just have guys that are either really good primary rim protectors or guys that are going to rotate over as secondary rim protectors. And then offensively, they're just – I mean, this team just has better spacing. Like, that's kind of what this comes down to. The, the game plan against the Nets has always been, hey, we're going to send two guys at Kevin, whether he's posting up, whether it's, you know, trapping him in pick and roll – um, and the Nets just actually have like targets that, you know, if the ball finds them, they're going to make the opponent pay. Uh, Yuta Watanabe has been a revelation. Um, TJ Warren has looked good and is only improving. Um, Kyrie's like the perfect guy to attack a defense that's already tilted. So it's, it's, you know, I think in large part, the roster makes a lot of sense. And then there's just a lot of, you know, inner roster improvement um, that's really helped these guys become uh threats on both sides of the floor and that's all they've really ever needed to be is you know be competent defensively because the offense is always going to carry them now they're actually like a plus team defensively and i think that's kind of why i'm so high on them right now mm-hmm. yeah so all right now we're gonna move on to obviously philly christian that was one team you left off the little contender even though obviously gave some praise to joel my question to both you guys is, one, where would you rate Philly on the contender scale? Are they kind of in the Miami boat where a lot has to go right for them to pave in that direction? Uh, or second, is it going to be the type of, okay, they could be a dangerous team, they're a threat, no one really wants to match up with them in the playoffs, but they're not quite the championship. Like, they're not going to get the hope of getting to the East Conference Finals or even the Finals is slim to nothing. Where, where, where would you kind of rank them? I kind of have them as a wild card in that, like, we know Joel Embiid is going to dominate every single night, but everybody else on that roster, I'm not sure what you're going to get, right? Like, at, at a certain point, Tobias Harris was supposed to be your second or third best player, and now he's, what, your fourth best player behind Harden, Maxi, and, and Embiid. Harden picks and chooses when he wants to, when he wants to go for 30 points or 13 points. And Maxi, I know everybody's high on him. I'm not sold on him yet in the playoffs, right, under pressure. I don't know what it's going to look like. So I, I think there's just a lot, a whole lot of pressure riding on Joel Embiid's shoulders. And I, I think at this point, yes, he's dominant, but teams have learned, okay, well, we're going to let him go off, but can we limit everybody else from scoring, right? Obviously, Joel Embiid is an amazing. He's probably going to be MVP. Well, I, won't, I won't say he's probably going to be MVP. He's going to be in the conversation again this year. But I, it's just hard for me to take them over a team. Like, like for example, I would pick Cleveland in a seven-game series against Philly. And I know that sounds crazy because – Philly's got the best player on the floor, but Cleveland's just got such a solid defense, and I love what they're doing with Donovan Mitchell. And I just think the further you go up the Eastern Conference standings, of course I'm going to take Milwaukee in the seven-game series against against Philly. Of course I'm going to take Boston, and it's looking like I'm going to take the Nets the way they've been playing as well. Um, so I, I don't know what – you know. and then another thing, I think a lot of us have been slowly expecting Tobias Harris to be traded over these years just when you look at his contract and his production, and it just hasn't happened. I think that's something that they're missing, right? Like they need another guy out there, but or they need to buy some step and play a different level. Either way, there's just too many reasons why I don't think they're going to go further than the second round. Um, shout out to Philly, though; it's a fun city. Uh, Philly's interesting. They kind of like they remind me of 
they kind of remind me of last year's Nets, where it's like they're just never on the floor together. Like even right now, Maxi's hurt. Um, you know, I think Tobias missed last game with uh, his back. Like they're just never together. And like their most fun points of the season, I feel like, was when Shake Milton was like <laughs> the show. Uh, Harden's been playing pretty well the last couple of games, just kind of looking at box scores and stuff like that. So they're weird. Um, you know, it's not a team that's like necessarily conducive. I don't know if like the best possible big man you could put Harden with is is somebody like Embiid. Um, you know, it's he's not a rim runner. He's not somebody that's going to give you like that vertical gravity. Um, so it's it is a very odd team, but in large part, it's just like I don't think there's enough of a sample at all for me to really have a feel for them. And which just kind of feels like I'm talking about last year's Nets, um, which is like what I was saying heading into the first round with the Celtics. I was like, I don't know, they could be good. Who knows? <laughs> so it's like. That's kind of what's the, what uh, Philly is to me this year. All right, fellas, let's jump into some more Sixers talk. We'll do that after a short break. Well, I'll say this as, as somebody who covers the Sixers uh, for us at Liberty Ballers. First off, people are going to come after you guys, Christian, especially you, just so you know that people after saying that. So be prepared for that. About Ben Simmons, I got people in my mentions with like pitchforks and and torches like i, I get it i know how philly gets down yeah they're gonna, not a <laughs> well here, here's what i'll say about that about that team number one you're right matt they haven't played together at all you know what i mean and and when they have it things didn't look great either and and i think they made those moves in the offseason with pj tucker bringing it d'anthony melton's been very very good mm-hmm. um so far for them this season but daniel house has been awful terrible you know what i mean somewhere around there so I, i'm with you i think they are this this wild card team that the expectation was and I think everybody looked at that, this Sixers squad and was like, okay, we know Milwaukee and Boston are at the top of the conference. Where are they going to fit in that pecking order? And, and like you mentioned, Christian, they got Joel Embiid, who is going to be right up there in the MVP conversation, top two, top three, depending on where you look at it. But I'm with you guys, and I think, and I'll get your opinion on this too. You look at this this team, you have the parts, right? You got Last year we used to look at, we looked at this squad in the second round. We're like, do they have enough NBA guys to compete with the, with the big boys? No, we, we knew that. Matisse Thybul can't be your 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 sixth man seventh man george niang as much as people love him not going to win a championship with him as your first option off the bench so now they went and addressed those moves but the wild card remains glenn rivers right so let, let me ask your guys opinion right oh. now christian we'll start with you the, if if this team is still struggling when they get maxi back and that's going to take a couple more weeks now do you look at them and think with doc you could take them seriously as a championship contender um, I think there's always been this like subtle understanding that eventually, if the if if the Sixers didn't get over the hump with Doc, they'd replace him with with Mike D'Antoni. Uh, I think that's kind of been the understanding, or at least the the thought process since James Harden got to to Philly, right? Ever since you had Daryl Morey there, you started seeing the the rumors of the team might go get um uh, Mike D'Antoni. So I I guess at at a certain level, you kind of understand it because D'Antoni's a guy who understands Harden. How he plays, how to maximize him, um, and Doc is a guy who's just got a. Uh, I feel like Philly fans. I feel like a lot of different fan bases have have mixed feelings about Doc Rivers because yes, he won a championship um, in Boston, but hasn't gotten back since then. And then on top of that, you just have some of the the, the playoff meltdowns that he's been a part of. So he, I, I feel like he a lot like Steve Nash sometimes becomes a scapegoat, but at the same time, like sometimes you see the vanilla offensive sets, right? And then you see the drop-off and what, what's going on in Philly with James Harden versus how he was playing in in, in, in Houston with Mike D'Antoni. So, I, I mean, at a certain point, you see 
sometimes you just need a coaching change just to shake things up. Um, I, I don't think that – I don't even know. I, I don't know. I can say I, I don't think that Doc Rivers is the problem. Um, but mm-hmm. I also don't think that – like, I, I think even if you bring in a new head coach, you're still going to have some of the problems with that roster that needs to be – there's any problems, but at the end of the day, there's just going to be a, a drop-off between where some of the better teams are and where the 76ers are. I'm not sure if Mike D'Antoni fixes that, um, but he might. Who knows? Well, let, let, let's not forget, Matt, before we jump into you. Last time the, the Doc Rivers team won a championship was before anybody knew what Twitter and Instagram was a thing. So let's not forget that, too, that we give him credit for winning wow. a championship. Dude, it's been a long, long time. But, uh, Matt, I mean, Matt, over to you. Basketball was back then. We didn't need Twitter and Instagram to know what it was, how to put the ball in the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, you're kind of – I do feel like you run the risk of, like, running out of time to make that type of a move. Like, that's the advantage of the Nets doing things within eight games. You know, you're giving Vaughn a, what, 70-ish, 70 – I don't want to do the math right now, but a lot of games. Uh, do the math, 74. I'm not doing it, 74. Uh, all right, so uh, – but, no, I mean, like, you kind of are going to run out of time. Um, and, that, and, again, it's like it, – it reminds me a lot of the Nets situation uh, last year where it's like – you know, nobody's ever on the floor, so we don't really know if it's Nash's fault that we lost 10 games in a row. Doesn't look great on his part. Um, and But then, you know, the second you put in a new voice, this team, like, hits another gear. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of hard not to look at Philly and kind of give Doc a little bit of a side-eye just because there is so much talent there. And whether they're on the floor or not, it just always feels underwhelming. And I do kind of feel like that is a coaching thing a little bit at the end of the day. It's just it gives me a lot of shades of like what's happened in Brooklyn the last couple of years. Um, Nash always had that built in excuse, I guess, in a way of being like, no, we never really had anybody on the floor. But the second you get in a new voice, this team just like finally looks like the team they were supposed to be. I just wonder if it looks like that in Philly a little bit. Yeah, well, speaking of a new voice, obviously the Celtics are doing very well with Missoula, right? Obviously, I want to call it a new voice because he was behind the bench. Obviously, he got the promotion since he may, obviously, with that team suspension. What do you guys think of the Celtics? Obviously, you guys commented a little bit about it. Um, are they your, are, if you had to pick a team to come out of the East, are they your selection as it stands right now? And I guess overall, like, is it is is Tatum a serious MVP candidate? Um, Serious candidate to come out the East, yes. I still think their Eastern Conference championship imposters from last season because Chris Middleton was healthy. Um, I would mm-hmm. love to see that series if Chris Middleton is healthy. I hope we see it this season. Um, I think yes and no, Tatum is a legit MVP candidate because he's going to be – he might end up being the best player on the best team. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always think MVP has different definitions depending on who you ask and different definitions of value depending on who you ask. I, I typically associate value with person who has to do more with less. So I, I look at Luca as someone who I think could win MVP if the if the Mavericks end up getting in, in the top four seed because you look at that roster, it's like, oh my goodness, how did they get here? Obviously it's gonna be Luca. Um but you look at Tatum, I mean, both sides of the ball he's playing well. I, I think the conversation tends to skew towards Tatum, but Jalen Brown has also been playing ridiculous basketball at this point. Um and then you just look at what they did in the offseason. I mean they're, they're winning some of these games without Robert Williams or Al Horford. Um, you got Malcolm Brogdon, who I think was the pickup of the year for them. That was just an amazing decision by them. Um, and then they got Gallo. Gallo got hurt. I, I just think they have one of the most well-rounded teams in the, in the NBA right now. Uh, I think it's just a matter of are they going to be able to beat a healthy Bucks team? What do they look like against the Nets? Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have them as favorites to go back to the NBA Finals. I, I think the Bucks have something to say about that. 
Um, and I kind of want to see what Cleveland looks like. I like how Cleveland's playing. I think they're going to be a tough team to beat in the playoffs. Um, I'm just not sure. I don't know. Uh, it, it's so it's it's open right now. Like on, I'm, I think we we can all agree that the two best teams in the NBA are in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, I'm not sure. I want to say three best teams, but Cleveland is up there, and the Nets are, are creeping up into this into the standings. Um, to your question though, Tatum looks really good. Boston looks really good. Bucks and seven. There you go. There you go. What about you, Matt? Yeah, Boston's interesting. Uh, lost three of their last four. A little skid. I think we'll like learn. We're gonna learn a lot about <clears throat> Missoula and the Celtics in this next stretch. Um, They're shooting the hell out of the ball to start the year. They've been like under thirty three percent from three in all three of these losses recently. So that was always the question: like, what if the shooting comes down a little bit? It was kind of destined to like as good as this team is in terms of how they space the floor and play five out. Uh, you're not gonna have you know whatever multiple guys shooting over 40 percent the whole year it's just really hard to do um they're interesting because they as as much as they have had this slight little skin they do have robert williams coming back now i think he played in his first game yesterday that's just a new level for them the way they're defending they've been a little bit more conservative playing drop coverage and stuff like that he's going to fit in really nicely into that so that'll be interesting for them and they can just sort of toy with more things defensively like last year they had him kind of roaming around the floor like a Giannis would they can also play him in drops so there's a lot of different things that you can do on defense and going from Blake Griffin and Luke Cornett to Robert Williams is a big addition for your defense so we're gonna see kind of what that looks like from here um yeah I mean I definitely take them seriously there's no reason not to it's a very balanced roster a lot of versatile guys we've seen them play the Nets who we talked about to start this year that's a horrible matchup um, I just have seen nothing that suggests otherwise so far. So, yeah, um, they're fun. Um, really curious to see what this next stage looks like, though. It, you learn a lot about a team in a losing streak. Um, you know, they had a lot of energy of a team that's coming off a tough loss in the finals. Maybe some of that energy starting to wear off. Let's see what they've got. Let's see what Missoula's got. Guys, want to jump into the last couple teams in the Atlantic Division at the time we're recording this podcast. All five Atlantic teams, at least in a play-in spot, four of them being in the actual top six. The Knicks, the second hottest team in the NBA in terms of winning streaks. They've won six in a row. R.J. Barrett starting to come along. Uh, but they kind of look like a team who, again, stuck in no man's land, right? And, and we, we were talking a little bit um, before we started rolling here about the Raptors, right? Another squad that, again, have some horses in terms of Fred Van Vliet. Pascal Siakam, uh, the Raptors can't win a game away from Toronto, though, 3-11 so far on the road. When you look at those two teams, and Christian, we'll start with you, and obviously there's going to be some excitement in, in New York, and I've always said this with, with Chris on the podcast, too, that when the Knicks are good, it makes the NBA better as a whole, although we haven't seen that in, what, like maybe 10 years now that they're actually a, a, you know somewhat fun to watch. Um, when you look at these two teams, what's the next step for the Knicks and the Raptors? Do the Knicks look at this and say, Hey, let's try and we have some flexibility. We have we have some extra first round picks over the next couple of years. Let's try and make a move here. To, obviously, failed on the Spider Mitchell front in the off season, and then you got the Raptors, where okay, you got Van Vliet, you got Siakam. You guys are getting a little bit older now, but you have some young talent around there. Scotty Barnes obviously going to be a building block uh, for the Raptors. But when you look at, at those two franchises, where's the direction that you would go with each of them right now if if you were calling the shots? That's a great question. Um... I think it's tough, right? Because there's just, I feel like Julius Randle is one of the most polarizing players in sports, right? Some players, 
some people want him out the door. Some people want him there in in in, in the Knicks jersey just to keep being that force that he is. But that there has to be some level of deferment there. I think that we've learned in this first leg of the season that, I mean, Jalen Brunson is the best player on that Knicks team right now. I mean, without a doubt, the way he's playing on both ends of the floor is just. And then, I, I mean, was that did he hit Fred VanVleet? Was that Fred? No, that was Alex Caruso. He hit with that step back three in overtime. I'm like, yo, this guy, and just. Right before that in regulation, you had Julius Randle holding the ball for 24 seconds to shoot an air ball at the end of regulation, giving the Bulls a chance to win the game with zero points. It just didn't make sense at all. So I, I think for the Knicks right now, it's they need to improve those players outside of that, we'll call them a big three, of, of R.J. Barrett, uh, Jalen Brunson, and Julius Randle. And I think in Toronto's case, I don't think their best player is good enough for them to be in these conversations, right? Like Pascal Siakam is always going to be a tier two or tier three star. He's never going to be that tier one guy. And we know we have too much data that shows you that if you don't have at least one of those tier one guys, you're not going anywhere. So I think it's a mix of the two things for both of those teams. I think the Knicks, when you look at where R.J. Barrett is at in his arc of, of just development, where Julius Randle is, Jalen Brunson, I like that trio. I think they just need to improve on the guys around them. Um, but at the end of the day, they had a chance to trade R.J. Barrett for Donovan Mitchell, and they chose not to. So you... At the end, you can't really save a team that doesn't want to save themselves, right? So the, the Knicks have to figure out what exactly it is that they want to do. The the Raptors, I just don't think they're going to be good enough with the people that they have to, to try to contend. And that's why they needed a guy like Kawhi, right? You saw night and day. If they had another guy like Kawhi in there, um, I, I think they'd be, obviously, you could say that for any team, if they had Kawhi, they'd be a championship contender. And I also think Scotty Barnes isn't. I think last year, the hype for Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year, you saw him playing well. I'm not sure we see him playing at the same level he was last year. That's a little concerning. Um, I hope he steps it up. So, Matt, what about you? Because you're, you're looking, at, again, at that Knicks squad. And Christian, you just mentioned this. You look at Randall, Brunson, Barrett. Those guys combined for 81 points a game. And they're at 22, 20, and 19, respectively. No one else in double figures for, for the Knicks. So you got quickly, you got Reddish. You got these, these guys who are depth pieces. But again... Remind me of that kind of, I mean, not the same in terms of the high end, but the roster construction in terms of not really having legit guys behind your, your big ones. So, Matt, when you look at those two teams, which direction would you go if you were calling the shots? Um, Knicks are interesting. They've been like a team that seems like the whole year they beat teams that they should and they lose to teams that are like upper tier, which is like, by the way, that's what a good team is. Not a great team. It's a good team. So they're they're hovering in the middle, but the way they're kind of going about it recently is a little bit more tolerable, I guess, for Knicks fans. You know, they're playing Grimes more, really promising young two-way guy. McBride's getting some minutes off the bench. That's come at the expense of Fournier, who just, like, I don't see the reason to play him at all because he's kind of a one-way guy anyways, and you have all these young players. So I actually like the direction that they're going. Um, you know, if you're going to have all these young guys that – you're keeping out of trades for somebody like Donovan Mitchell. You should play them, and that's what they're doing. And they're also playing pretty good basketball right now. So um, I think that's been fun to see those guys get minutes. I'd love if we could get a Nets-Knicks playoff series, like first-round series. I've been kind of waiting on that. So I'm hoping these two teams like cover around three and six by the end of the year. I think that'd be exciting. Um, Toronto, on the other hand, is you know that window closed the second Kawhi left, and that's kind of the reality of this. It reminds me of when LeBron left Cleveland. They tore it down very quickly after. Toronto's been sort of a slow deceleration period. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the reality of of playing with a team that loses a guy that's 
as great as he is and commands as much of the offense as he is, is you're just sort of trying to fill that hole with other players, other pieces. And at the end of the day, I do think that that runs out. And that's why you see their, their half court offense is like, you know, bottom three, I think in the league. Um, it's just, you're trying to plug a hole that's kind of hard to plug. Um, and, and you're going to have to either hit the draft or get lucky and, and get a guy out of a trade. You know, somebody like Durant would have been really good this offseason, turns out. Um, probably should have done that. <laughs> Imagine all the teams that decided they didn't want to give up assets for Kevin Durant. I said yeah. it over the summer, man. I was like, That's what crazy. are we doing here? Like, How this crazy is Kevin do you Durant. have to be as an organization to not want to give up a couple first-round picks and a couple young guys who you don't think are going to pan out in three to five years for Kevin Durant? Are like, we that included as a society to not remember how good? And this is my rant for the day. How could you think that Kevin Durant is not going to be the piece that puts you over the hump? This man goes out there and destroys people on a nightly basis, and you're going to say, oh, no, nah, not worth my 2025 first rounder. Are you? <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous, man. It's Dude, ridiculous. I, like people, I, look, I'm, a, I'm, a t I'm also going to hop onto this. Like the idea that because, you know, this dysfunctional Nets team could not figure out maybe one of the best playoff defenses we've seen like in the last, I don't know how many years, the Celtics were like that good, um, and 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 for that be to be the reason that teams are like, yeah, I don't know if we really want to give up, like you know, McCall Bridges for for Kevin Durant. I don't know. I don't feel great about. It. It's like, yeah. what are we doing here? <laughs> I'll never understand it. So Toronto fits into that, by the way. Um, Scotty Barnes, I think Scotty Barnes can be great. Um, is Scotty Barnes going to have the peak that Kevin Durant is going to, you know, even having right now? Probably not. So I, I don't know. So I think, yeah, uh, you're, you're kind of paying for that. And uh, it'll be interesting. I think they need probably a little bit more time to figure out where they're going to go. But I do wonder if they're going to be slight sellers at the deadline. Maybe not a wholesale seller, because I don't know if that's how Masai would do things. Maybe he would. Um, but but I do think you're going to see them strip it down just a little bit. Yeah, let's not, let's not forget the Minnesota Timberwolves as well, giving up that for, for Rudy Gobert, kind of screwed up the market for Durant, too. It's like, who the hell? Five first-round picks or whatever it was for Rudy Gobert. I mean, and then you're not willing to give up anything for Kevin Durant or even matching that. Uh, that shows some of the stupidity we have around the NBA. Uh, Chris, let's wrap up. One last question for you for, from both the guys here. Sure. So I guess my last question for you guys is obviously heading into the NBA trade deadline or heading into trade season, trade deadline. Do you expect out of those of the Atlantic Division teams, which ones do you expect to be active? Which ones do you ex expect to be buyers? And which ones do you expect to be sellers? Um, Knicks, Raptors, um, definitely active in the trade market. Nets, I think we see a lot of noise about potential trades, but I'm not sure if they actually mm -hmm. pull the trigger on one. Maybe they buy out market candidates more so than trade deadline guys, but at this point, you know, you never know, right? They might. I, I feel like at this rate, you have this team that's rolling so much that, like, why tinker with that by trading one of your main pieces and you have to give to get, right? So I, I don't know that. Maybe if things start falling off the wagon or if, if the wheels start falling off by the trade deadline, we see them make a deal. But right now, I mean, this team is rolling, so I don't know why you why you mess with that. Um, Raptors could be sellers, as as uh, Matt was pointing out. Knicks would definitely be buyers. I don't think we see the Celtics make a trade. Um, and what's the other team in the Atlantic Division? Um, Philly. No. Oh, Philly, Philly. Philly is Philly. interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely don't think we see them as sellers. 
Um, but I don't think they have enough data as to what their team looks like to even know if they need to make a trade yet or not. So I, I have no clue what they're going to end up doing in the next couple months. But, uh, man, it's going to be fun watching that whole situation shake out. Philly's destined to get Eric Gordon because, you know, it's just yeah. it's that, every, everybody the Knicks, who is good in Houston needs to be there. The, the Knicks are going to get him. Watch that. <laughs> they're going to reunite the 2018 Rockets, right? there. Yeah. That's, that's the plan in Philly with Mike D'Antoni calling the shots. That'd be crazy. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I do think Toronto is probably a seller. Uh, not sure how much. Like, is it going to be, you know, somebody like Fred Van Vliet? Is it going to be OG or is it going to be kind of smaller than that? Um, we'll see, I guess. I do think the Nets uh, will be aggressive. I hope it's not, like, too aggressive. Like, I hope it's not, like, you know, like John Collins or somebody like that that I don't think makes a ton of sense for them. Um, but I do think they'll be aggressive. Um, Sean Marks is not somebody that has made a lot of deadline deals other than James Harden, which by the way, was not his choice. Um, so other than that, I, I don't think they'll be, I think they'll be aggressive, but I'm kind of with Christian. I just don't know if that'll happen because that's not, it hasn't especially been Sean Marks's style historically. Um, Knicks are, who knows? Um, they, they, I just, I can never read the Knicks, so who knows with them, but, um, yeah, I think Toronto is probably the safest bet to be um, aggressive in the trade market. It's just probably a seller. So um, it'll be fun. And then uh, I think the buyout market should be aggressive. The Nets are obviously always aggressive. I think Philly I could see being kind of aggressive in the buyout market um, just because, as Christian said, they don't have enough data to like really have a feel for this team. But that doesn't mean they're not going to try to add additional guys with the appeal of playing next to Embiid, Harden, Maxi. So um, I think it'll be fun. It, it'll be It'll, it'd be really fun if we have uh, Philly and Brooklyn kind of going head-to-head for guys in the buyout market. Mm-hmm. All right, fellas, let's, uh, let's wrap things up there. I want to thank you guys for, for joining Chris and I on the Atlantic Division Mistake. This is our fourth episode of it, so trying to get it going. Matt, uh, you're heading back to the West Coast for Christmas. Enjoy that. Uh, thanks again for taking the time out to do it. And Christian, get some liquid IV in you. Get some relaxation and get, <laughs> get, get, back, at it, uh, get back at it later today. Gatorade, I need some breakfast. I need some help. <laughs> no, nah, you guys are cold. I get, get the guy a breakfast burrito or something like that. No, nah, I'm going to the gym. I'm on my Christian. I'm on my Christian Winfield today. I'm going to oh, the yeah? gym. Oh yeah, I went yesterday and I'm sore as hell. So I'm gonna go today. This, oh boy, and lead by example. Look, I'm I'm just trying to follow in his footsteps, except for not drink Ducey and and Henny, whatever you had. Yeah. <laughs> that is a hellish combination. I just yeah, want to reiterate. That's, <laughs> that's insane. Don't do it, man. <laughs> oh, man. All right, fellas. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the holiday season. And uh, Chris and I will be back doing this again next week. So appreciate y'all. And uh, we'll, hopefully we can do this again soon. All right. Good yes, sir.